one of the uh, one of the they, like they'll sometimes they'll put out these writing prompts for people just to get more submissions and stuff. Yeah, and they had, when somebody said like you know write a story using this source material and it was a link to the uh, glossary of professional wrestling terms on Wikipedia. Hmm. And if you go to that, it's an amazing just like list you know alphabetical list of wrestling terms. And uh, I ended up writing this four-part poem that they pu- the last part of it will come out this month. I'll talk. I'll mention that at the end. But um, but it was like so informative, and I learned so much about wrestling just by learning what the words meant. You yeah, know? kayfabe, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> and like Memphis-style wrestling is heavy on the kayfabe. Right. <laughs> I didn't know well, that. All of, it, all, of this, all of it's supposed to be heavy on the kayfabe, but you know, not anymore, really. How do you spell that? Keep it heavy. K a y f a b. Yeah. I wanted to call it like kefabe or something, right. <laughs> but it's like, no, it's just kefabe. It's just kind of a... <laughs> What's um, the etymology there? It's a meaningless carnival word uh. is what I've read about it or heard about it. Just to, to protect the business originally, mm-hmm. which... It's about it's about like committing to the lie. You know what I mean? It's like... Or committing to the act. It's like, no, I really... Yeah. It's not like... To the outside world, like you don't let it, you, 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 you treat it like it's serious to everybody and only it's a, you know, only insiders understand how it really works. Right. Is that that's, mean that's part of it, but it's also a word that you use. Like for instance, if you're in an arena, mm-hmm. your opponent's somehow nearby, you might be talking about the match and suddenly oh. like there's some, some fans are in wrestling. They call them marks. Usually mm-hmm. They walk in, it's like, hey, Fabe. And then, like, everybody just disperses oh, to protect oh, what's happening. Okay. It, it has a lot of different usages. So it can just be like a warning signal, too. It can be a warning signal. It's the weird signal. word that you don't rec- Nobody else would know this, but we know it. Yeah, like, yeah. Our, if, now our audience knows it. <laughs> I, I remember traveling with, with certain That's veterans and trying to pull back the curtain. Their wife, their wife would be calling on the way home from the trip, and it'd be like, nah, I'm going to kayfabe that call. <laughs> That's like, awesome. Because they didn't want to talk to their wife at that particular moment. Yeah, so that's they, awesome. they kayfabe the call. <laughs> so it's, it becomes it's, a verb. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, cool. oh, that didn't really happen because I kayfabed it. <laughs> so so there's, there's so many usages of it that it's hard that's to just. That's cool, man. So it's, how, it's like a mulligan that that trans, it transcends the time space continuum into whatever you want it to be. It's like this this opportunity to just be yeah, like, I'm not yeah. accountable. It could be that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could be that. Sounds like it can be a lot of things. Well, I think wrestling is losing its definition, so I start being a little bit more absolutist about things. Uh-huh. So I'm some of these things are the definitions are being expanded. Like everybody's using the word performance art now just to uh. to make excuses for stuff not relating to the past, I think. And the problem with that is where is your It's very postmodernist. Where's the, yeah, where's the concept hmm. of your performance art? Did you write a treatise about it? I mean, what it where where is your yeah. aesthetic criterion mm-hmm. for what you're doing if you're going to call it performance art? Mm-hmm. I mean, don't use that as a blanket term to make an excuse for 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 not really making it into look like a legit bout uh-huh. that people are believing in anymore. Yeah, you're, like, you know? like I, it, just because it's art doesn't mean it's bad wrestling, or boy, it doesn't. It is bad wrestling. It's not art. Right. I know? mean, it's. it's <laughs> cosplay and things like that are kind of getting in the mix now. So interesting. Well, I think that's, it's interesting, you know, to this being the art fight podcast, I think I literally uh, was writing a thing about this the other day and mentioned the fact that, that one of the things that's happening in the, in the world of art, of course, right now is also that like all those boundaries between like fine art and craft and design and all that stuff. They're Mm -hmm. all just like 
Dis- they're dissolved. I mean, they're not even dissolving. They're yeah. totally dissolved. And there's something fun about that. And there's interesting opportunities that come with that. But then there's also like, what's the standard? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah once- and I think we have to, we, once the standards are gone, I yearn for the standard a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Once the definitions are expanded so far to include everything, then how can anything be defined? It's ultimately mm-hmm. the, it's the, it's the, always recurring uh, modernism versus postmodernism mm-hmm. dilemma and the cultural snake eating itself as one of my favorite non-philosophers uh, uh, of Mr. Regular of Regular Car Reviews talked about when he was, talk- <laughs> when he was reviewing the PT Cruiser and he was talking about... He, was <laughs> he, talking he ended about- up on the Ouroboros. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But, but it really is that. And I think that we are in a time like uh, where how does anything mean anything anymore also because of that? And that's, that's the problem is how do you assign? It's not just about the the problem of perception and what, how do I categorize this or give merit to this or whatever, but it's like, how does this, how, how do I even derive meaning out of something that seems so momentary or is it flippant or is it born of discipline or is it just a reaction mm-hmm. and, and what is valid and what is not? Well, some of the old monks would, say that you can't really prove meaning in the world, but you can, pr- in, you can prove your intention to create meaning mm. by your actions. That's what, I mean, that's an idea. It's like, okay, maybe love doesn't exist, but I'm still going to try to create the concept of it according to definitions that I have and definitions other people have. Aspirational on yeah. some level, yeah. So it's intentionalism. Ah, this is a great mm. wrestling discussion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, so obviously we should do the sort of the bread and butter stuff here real quick. So maybe you can tell the audience, uh, uh <laughs> who is this guy? Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and, and what the fuck is he talking about? And why the fuck is he on this podcast? <laughs> well, I'm a professional wrestler, Josephus, uh, real name, Joseph. I won't reveal my last name, although you can find it on the internet. I'm sure. Mm. I've been wrestling almost 10 years now. Started late in life. I was 32 when I had my first match. Now I'm 42. Nice. I work for the National Wrestling Alliance with uh, Billy Corgan and Dave Lagana and some other fine, outstanding wrestlers. Dave is like the number two guy, right? Yeah, Dave yeah. is the vice president, yeah. and I, I do a lot of work with him, uh, editing-wise and, and behind the scenes with him as well, so... Good times. That's the main company I work for right now. I don't. I, every now and again, I'll do like a spot show here and there. Is it like um, this? Is an interesting thing too because we're talking about like boundaries and like who does what. But is it common in a, in a wrestling promotion like that for the wrestlers to also have roles behind the scenes? I would say no. Usually, mm-hmm. um, you see people migrate into those roles. But I've always been interested in behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. I've always been interested in in video and editing and just writing mm-hmm. uh, creative things and, and writing scripts. And mm-hmm. I got into wrestling because I was writing a script about it with my brother, actually. Mm-hmm. And about, one, Like about a wrestler? Yeah, sort of a, a story about a wrestler or a guy who becomes a wrestler because mm-hmm. his, his mother gets sick. And, he, <laughs> and the deacon at his church convinces him, hey, man, we can get you a few hundred bucks a week, uh-huh. which was a very high amount because uh-huh. wrestlers don't always make a few hundred bucks a week. <laughs> Um, and he's going to pay for help pay for medical bills, this, that, and the other. So my mm. brother and I were writing the script and it was like, okay, well, one of us should network with the local shows to and learn I, about it. Yeah. Whatever. To learn yeah. about that. And I think he went to one show with me uh-huh. 
that was it. He was like, okay, I got this. Because my brother's an introverted guy. I mean, he's a, he's a painter. He, we, we played music together, things uh-huh. like that. Very creative guy. Uh-huh. But I kept with it. I kept going to the shows. Uh-huh. I would go to the fairgrounds. I'd go to downtown Nashville shows. Mm-hmm. The USWO is what it was called. Mm-hmm. To do research, network. And then finally I came to the conclusion, one of us should do the training. And of course, my brother was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not an idiot. I like yeah, this. I like like this, like, uh, this is this is like this new journalistic like commitment to the sure. story. You're like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna experience this story to to write this story right. down. Yeah. That kind of is what it became. It was sort of like Brubaker when Robert mm. Redford <laughs> sees what it's like to be a prisoner before yeah. he becomes the warden. You know, <laughs> hey Brubaker, that's the first Brubaker reference. I, we've I, had. I love saying that In name. Sixty plus. Well, episodes. you know, we had we had Matthew Polly on. Matthew Polly wrote the most comprehensive Bruce. Lee autobiography oh. recently and uh, his in his past he had written some MMA related books prior and what he did was similar in his 30s uh, well he left Ivy League school to go train with Shaolin monks in China mm-hmm. learn, mm-hmm. learn Kung Fu yeah. and wrote then, a book about that wrote a book about that then mm-hmm. came wrote a book about MMA decided in his mid 30s I think he was to actually fight you know? to actually he ended up training uh, mixed martial arts and took on I think a handful of fights uh and then you know he he won. Yeah, that uh, one, there's one on on the on YouTube where he yeah, demonstrates yeah, quite a jab yeah. and wins the fight. <laughs> so so I, I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of that, and I'm also just a huge fan of people that um, I don't know. We live in this world now where people feel like they're so I feel I feel like especially now people are so quick to assume these um, shrouds or these identities about like I'm going to be this kind of person doing these kinds of things, mm. and I, I don't know if people realize how how what how how massively that pendulum can swing in your life. We're all sitting here in our forties. Like yeah. I, I've lived a lot of lifetimes now and done a lot, been a lot of different people. Mm. And it's even when, when you see somebody that's 21, that's just out of college. Like I know what I want to do. You just want to be like, even if you do like be yeah. open to yeah. not yeah. knowing or, you know, mm. well, I actually was training to be a missionary. That's, that's mm. kind of what I was doing oh, right out of interesting. high school. And, then I went to college to go back to the missionary world eventually, mm. and I never did. Mm-hmm. And then kind of was a librarian after that. Mm-hmm. And after library world, I became a wrestler. So mm-hmm. that's so that's sort of my weird journey. <laughs> it was a librarian. There's like no kids brought back late books, but then you were the librarian. They're like, well, no, I, right here. I brought it back early. <laughs> it was a weird transition. A lot of librarians were at my first match. Uh-huh. I do remember that. Looking out in the crowd, and I'm like, wow, that's the uh, the library section. Up there. <laughs> so well, yeah, and we have some weird people in common, and a strange sort of orbit in Nashville that we've never really quite connected but sort of brushed past each other in these different time periods I think uh, but I think that probably one of the people we have in common most notably would be Kelly Hicks mm-hmm. who is in the library sort of Metro yeah. Archives and all that was she one of those uh, no she no, wasn't the, I, okay. I had known her before that I don't know if Kelly's made it to a match or not Okay, mm-hmm. if she hasn't and she's listening to this she yeah. needs to make it to one <laughs> that's, that's a do you dictate want, do you, do no. want to cut a promo right now directed at her uh, that taunts her Kelly Shayhicks <laughs> are you ready for the kingdom of Josephus <laughs> if so please come to one of my matches and I promise I will give you archival 
editions of the Muppet magazine. <laughs> Inside joke. Yeah, um, she wasn't. I don't think she was at the first one. I was in a band with her mm. called Lilas. For I was yeah. in Lilas just oh, for a yeah. minute there. Yeah. Interesting. I played accordion with them. That's awesome. And then you know, just as typical in Nashville, you're in a band and. Somehow you don't get the call for the next show. Yeah. And it's not as, as in wrestling, you say there's no heat there, <laughs> but somehow you don't make it to the list. And then mm. like, it's never discussed again. <laughs> Almost every band I've ever been in, that's the situation. <laughs> I, would, I would suspect though, as an accordion uh, player, mm-hmm. that you're going to be also the most expendable. <laughs> they, maybe they just didn't want that droney sound anymore. They replaced, <laughs> they replaced it with loops. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. They're like, God, every time, we have we play with them we have to be in tune right yeah we better get ableton right. <laughs> what they were thinking. But yeah so i started out and worked at the stadium in downtown that was kind of my exclusive place to work for a good while i was josephus the shelby street brawler because when i was growing up in nashville i'm from here shelby street was a rough area i mean you know there were people getting gunned down actually Mm -hmm. did inner city work over there and Mm. there were just all kinds of crazy things happening and so i kind of connected myself to that it's halfway based on the brooklyn brawler i don't know if you remember that character yeah wwf oh oh, yeah 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 he was he was a jobber with a character essentially and started with tony falk and his son lt falk They, they helped me learn the basics and then after that an old memphis legend called dirty dutch mantel took over and uh, started a school and I was one of his original Mm -hmm. students in that school. That's cool. I love all these names, man. Yeah. And Dutch is, for instance, I'll give you a a background on Dutch. He worked in Memphis, but he was always kind of a mentor to people. He's the Mm -hmm. guy that told Steve Austin to go by the name Steve Austin Mm -hmm. because he wanted to go by the name Steve Williams. And there was already a wrestler named Mm -hmm. Dr. Death, Steve Williams. He said, oh, you should go by Steve Austin. (laughs) <laughs> and he listened to him huh. and he mentored Stone Cold before Stone Cold was Stone Cold. Mm-hmm. That's he helped crazy. Uh, The Undertaker develop a lot of his wrestling psychology. He helped Kane do the same thing. He just, what do you mean by wrestling psychology? Meaning, how do you break down a match? I mean, there's certain uh. elements of a match. When does the, the good guy baby face, when does he finally come back at the end? Mm-hmm. Are you listening to the crowd? Do they help you know that it's time to take it home, as you would say in wrestling? Uh-huh. Uh, when does the heel bad guy, when does he apply his pressure mm-hmm. on the baby face to get the sympathy from the crowd so that mm-hmm. they can live vicariously through the good guy and get emotionally involved? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Yeah, cool. How do you do things? How do you book a show? Things. Dutch is like a master of psychology. Mm-hmm. He's like the Joseph Campbell of wrestling. He's one of them for sure <laughs> from the old school because he was another guy that cared about what was happening behind the scenes, not necessarily at the editing and videoing as much, but just like how is a show run? How, mm. And he worked with Jerry Jarrett and all these other people. Is that part of why you have that consciousness about that and you have that interest in that part of it, you think, is because you came up under a mentor who emphasized that more? That definitely fed it. I think I wanted to know that anyway to Mm. kind of translate into the the screenplay I was writing. Oh, yeah. You kind of came from the outside. Yeah, you were coming to that. You were coming from there anyway. Yeah, that's cool. But I traveled with Dutch almost, I'd say... 
two, three weekends out of a month for about two years. Mm -hmm. And so he would constantly talk about, oh, this is what I did. He he did a lot of stuff in Puerto Rico. This is the show I booked with Bushwhacker Luke in Puerto Rico. (laughs) We'd meet every morning. We'd meet on Saturday morning at Denny's. I'm just so glad I'm here for that sentence, man. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I I actually wrestled Bushwhacker Luke and (laughs) choke slammed him. It's like a a Tom Waits song, man. Bushwhacker Luke in Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, you gotta gotta get that low tone. Get that Howlin' Wolf (laughs) vibe for that one. Yeah, totally, man. That's awesome. That's really cool. Oh, you know what? uh, By the way, when when, uh, we were at that opening uh, of my thing or whatever, I ran into Josephus here, and you you were there, Joe, obviously. And um, I learned, and I'd forgotten about this, and I still don't really have an active recollection of it, but I want you to know, Joe, that I have wrestled this man. I think he told me about that. Yeah. Did yeah. you tell me about it, that? I think I did. It just, <laughs> you almost forget about it because it doesn't didn't last very long. Right there, so. yeah. right, just, it was hey, a brief chat. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. hey, so listen, just for the audio, uh, since this is all just audio, archive, let's, let's, just, really... let's just set the stage here. I don't know. I don't have any recollection of this, but what I do know is that I am five foot six, 150 pounds, and you are probably, what, 6'2", six, 6'3", six, about, about two, 280. Yeah, about 280. Yeah. So, um, how, t- how tall are you? Six three ish is what I yeah. say. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and that's not like wrestling indulgence either. That's legit. No, yeah, so, he's legit tall. So yeah. I don't have any recollection of it. Probably, probably because I was concussed. But um, but it doesn't sound like it went very well. It Before seems like something. <laughs> it seems like something where I was like uh, really uh, pressing some buttons or something. I'm not really sure. <laughs> were, were you married back then? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, if were you, you weren't, there were you, probably was a reason. Were you, were you like... Yeah. <laughs> well, that was my first wife. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, <laughs> have to look at the timeline. Yeah, right. Uh, do, do you remember what you did to me to snuff me out? Or I just What did it. you do to yourself to find I mean, yourself yeah, in a situation where you somehow attack this giant here's man? Here's the thing. I'm just happy. <laughs> I just love the fact that like I, we have a podcast where we can relearn what happened in, in violent things that we encountered in real life that we don't recall. This yeah. is really fun but I, you don't recall it because you were so uh like impaired before you attacked josephus I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that that's possible it, well it's just what happened to me a lot when i started training is you mm-hmm. tell people that and they're like you should wrestle me yeah. and i'm like okay let's do this you're like okay tiny jewish looking man i mean but to be honest i wasn't this big at that point i was probably like 250 mm-hmm so I was like, this is still, totally doable. Still, 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 still triple, triple digits above Ryan. There, there, was, there was a musician, I won't name him, but he doesn't live in Nashville anymore, but he's still probably connected to Nashville people. Once I started, I mean, I started doing music shows in the 2008 around Tennessee, which was around the same time I started training as well. But this guy tried to steal my shtick, like going from doing gigs and music to wrestling. And he would tell people he was training to be a wrestler. Huh? And so was he at all? No, of course not. He was just trying to talk to women. <laughs> and so somehow I ended up at a party with this guy and I actually heard him doing the shtick. Really? Uh-huh. And I, you know, I tapped him on the shoulder. I was like, Hey, I heard you're becoming a wrestler. And he was just kind of, Oh, <laughs> like he didn't say anything. I was, I was, I was like, well, okay, let's do this. Uh-huh. You know, I challenged him uh-huh. right there and just 
I remember he came at me and I just took him and I slammed him against the wall <laughs> and he crumbled to the ground, but then somehow he got up and wanted some more. And so I, I made it much, I grabbed him by the throat at that point. <laughs> I'm starting to understand exactly why I don't recall our <laughs> encounter. Because you know, if you the old school ways, if somebody challenges the business, let's go. You you go for him. And I wasn't trying mm. to hurt this guy or anything. I just right. I wanted to see him his wrestling moves, right? Which were nothing. Yeah. And of course, the girl just kind of it's like the '80s movie. She was just like, <laughs> and then walked away. It reminds me a little bit of stories I've heard about people I know who are veterans who find out someone who's saying they're a veteran yeah. isn't actually a right. veteran. Right. And they're not happy about it. What do they call it? What do they call it? Something Valor. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think there is a specific stolen name. Valor. Stolen Valor. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's if like, you can tell how seriously they're taking it. Yeah. <laughs> I can. I, I can't even count the people that have told me that they're Jeff Jarrett's cousin <laughs> here in Tennessee. Oh, I'm old Jeff's cousin. It's like, oh, really, uh, man? That's a heck of a family tree. It's like a you know a Rorschach painting or something, but uh, or not ink blot, rather not painting, but you know what I mean. Pollock, Pollock would be a better example. So, so when you were uh, when you were a person that was just getting started, I guess my my thought my my question, I suppose, is like. In the way that you were, you had a certain period of time where you had this native objectivity about wrestling, right? You had only seen it, watched it, Mm -hmm. and observed it, researched it, whatever. And then you make the decision to be in it, doing it. And then there's a moment, probably really quickly, where you're like, I'm doing this right now. What was like, how do you look at it differently? Like, because once you cross that sort of, Gulf, like you, you, the perception, you can't really go back to pure objectivity anymore. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm just curious about sort of, in, and especially now with 10 years of, you know, you, you have a very educated and nuanced uh, and historical knowledge, you know, the, the movement, the, the language, you, you're, you're in there. So I guess I'm just curious about like, uh, in terms of when you were on the outside and purely objective versus where you are now, what are the differences perhaps in what you maybe thought about what wrestling was or what was made of? Not necessarily like what surprised you like, Oh, that shit really hurts or whatever, you know, but you know what I mean? Like more like about the nuances uh, that perhaps people just don't think about. Well, it's, I think it's kind of like when the story, the person in the story becomes the storyteller, you know, that's sort of the difference is, I was trying to create my own story by becoming a wrestler because the reason being is because a lot of bad things had happened in my life. And I thought I'm going to become a wrestler to do something I normally wouldn't do. Even though I was writing a script about it, I normally wouldn't have done that in order to try to balance my life from all these chaotic elements, Mm -hmm. essentially becoming a creator. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like the book of Genesis talks about all the elements that are crazy and, whatever your concept of God is, even if it's nothing in the book, still he brings order to it. Mm. I was looking for that order in my life, but now I'm looking to tell the story in the sense of less performing and more behind the scenes stuff. I think I still have the, the naive concept of what it is and still can appreciate the stuff that I gravitated towards back in the past. Like today I was at a, I work as a music teacher at SAE actually. Mm-hmm. And I stopped in and I showed some guys some old Memphis stuff. Cause that's a lot of my favorite wrestling came from Memphis. Mm. And still inside, I was just like, this is the greatest stuff ever. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Samuel Beckett in a way. Uh huh. That's cool. It's Samuel Beckett meets, um, 
athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I still can find the appreciation there. I think just like anything, if you meet some of your heroes, you may despise them mm-hmm. in ways. And that's the side that you don't want to have. You don't want to not appreciate somebody's work anymore because you've met them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a very common right. phenomena, yeah. though. Yeah. Because it's not just they, a cliche. Because maybe they're putting you through that initiation where if you mm. get past two years of brutality, they'll actually become your friend or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, though, my, I mean, that's some of the people, and I won't mention names, but my favorite mm. wrestler of all time is Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah. And he's always been kind to me from the get-go. That's great to know, man. And I, I wrestled him probably about 12 times. That's awesome. And I have something, and that's I'm like wrestling Miles Davis. If you, if you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like me, like having like a kung fu fight with Coltrane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. And the cool thing is, I have a something he signed for me after a match once. And you know, people don't like to talk about this stuff, but he's my still my hero. Uh-huh. It says, thank you for the great match, Josephus. Oh, my Jerry gosh. Law. I mean, that's right. like the greatest possession yeah, of, in wrestling amazing. that I have. Yeah, that's incredible. From my hero, dude. See, yeah. that, that's one of those things, too, where it, it codifies your experience in such a way that you, you, it liberates you from a lot of the, um, the painful aspects of aspiring towards something that's kind of this apparition that you're sorting out, right? Because now that you've had that accomplishment, <clears throat> it's kind of like, even if I don't do anything else in my whole life, Mm-hmm. Right. Like you've got that, like, right. like that is to go from like, what is completely unimaginable as a kid or, you know, or whatever to, mm. to, to being in that reality. Yeah. Um, honestly, everything else is gravy at this point. So it takes the, I don't know, it takes the, the impetus of, you know, ego and pressure yeah. and further accomplishment or compounding this sort of momentum. It does. It's like who everything's just gravy, you know? Yeah. And also it actually highlights also, by the way, that, people that uh, are really good at stuff that are famous for doing it don't have to be dicks for the right. sake of just being a dick. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like some gatekeeper system or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I want to, uh, I want to like follow up on like your whole process here. So like, I feel like I write a lot of uh, stuff about art and I also have my <clears throat> own experience with my own creative processes with my own uh, practices. Right. <clears throat> and not every person who writes art criticism <clears throat> actually understands what that thing actually is in their own terms. Yeah. I don't think that that means you can't be an art critic, but I do think it gives me a special perspective. So like how has actually going through what you've actually gone through helped you? What have you learned that's helping with your screenplay as a result? Like what are the results of actually committing to this research? I think a lot of it is like, writing a travel guide if mm-hmm. you and you've never been to the location. <laughs> I, I think that's, and you know. World building. Yeah, like, yeah. I've been to the location now, so uh-huh. I could write the travel guide and say, as I stood on the steps, or as I've been in the ring at this point, mm-hmm. I can talk to you about my experience. And I think this experience <clears throat> as, as, you know, whatever you want to call them, the fan, mm-hmm. the layperson, The mark. The, I, see, I, I'm not a big fan of that word, but, feels but that is what predatory. people say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or manipulative on some level. But Well, just because I know that everything <laughs> in reality is customer service. <laughs> right. If you're going to have fans, yeah, well said. Yeah. you can't yeah. just treat them like you're above them. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, it's no a very disconnected what. assertion. Yeah. Yeah. It's different if they're attacking you and you're, you know, yeah. oh, I mean, I had somebody attack my kid once online. I was just like, oh, yeah. Don't enter this world. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
but yeah, I think I, I think a lot of people want to act like they understand everything about the wrestling business, but they're still writing the travel guide to a land that they don't understand yeah. to the Atlantis or to whatever, some mm-hmm. mythical land that seems mm-hmm. shiny to them. Yeah. And I, and like I said, I mean, I think, you know, um, like, like we were talking about, like with the, uh, like the new journalists or whatever, I feel like, you know, some like writers have been, have been willing to like get in the ring to some degree, or, you know, there's a guy, Bill Plimpton, like joined the Detroit lions for a season. Mm-hmm. I grew up in yeah. Detroit. So that was always a book I was aware of, Yeah, you know, and, and actually played in like a, like an exhibition game during preseason or something like this, like did like four downs or something like that. Um, and that's a huge amount of like, exposing yourself to this thing that most people aren't really willing to do. Right. (laughs) You know? And I think there's, I think there's something interesting about it to me. I just think that's the, that that's the thing that's interesting about being somebody creating something from something. It's like, well, if you think it's so interesting, why wouldn't you just get in there and do it? You know what I mean? And I think a lot of times people will do it for one day. Mm hmm. Like, oh, I got in the ring last right. night and I took yeah. some bumps. It's like, yeah, yeah, but are you doing that five nights a week? Yeah. I mean, my first two, three years, I did three to five nights a week. Mm-hmm. You actually, already, actually doing shows, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I'd do Evansville. I'd do all these other little, these cities that were two, three hours away at first. Uh-huh. And then you lead into the bigger bookings. So when you would do that, would you like just leave Nashville on a Thursday and just be gone till Sunday night or something no, like that? No, I or? would. A lot of times you'd come back uh-huh. just to Nashville the same back. night. I see. So you'd do like a loop. Mm-hmm. You'd create these loops and then you'd do them every week. Mm-hmm. And But see, that's the difference between doing that and dealing with the travel and this, that, and the other than the guy at the convention who gets in the ring and the wrestler beats him up for 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Just not, it's not the same, mm-hmm. you know? I've almost uh, my neck still is is messed up from 2013. <laughs> oh, no. Even though I've I usually I just do acupuncture and stuff for that, uh-huh. but it's just like if you're dealing with a nagging injury that comes from something like this, mm-hmm. then it creates a different perspective as well. Mm-hmm. As opposed to I'm I'm the Instagram hero mm-hmm. because my hero clotheslined me once, mm-hmm. you know. It's a different world. <laughs> <laughs> what about, so did that come from that move? It came from a Death Valley driver. And what know, is that? It's basically somebody gets you on their shoulders. Your head is tucked in under their arms. Uh-huh. So you're looking, I was looking down at the mat. Uh-huh. And then they just kind of flip you over. And you're supposed to land oh, okay, yeah. on your back, like your shoulder blades almost. But it, my head just got spiked. Oh, okay. And... My body went one way and like my head kind of went the other way, mm-hmm. but I immediately stood up mm-hmm. and, wa- and walked out of the ring, mm-hmm. like out of shock. Oh, wow. But I had a disconnect between my head and my body for oh, a little no. bit. Whoa. Yeah, that was sort of like the injury that I won't say it did me in because I've wrestled since uh-huh. you know, that's six years ago, uh-huh. but it came back in around 2016 mm-hmm. and I was just like, well, I don't know. Oh, like the injury flared up again. Yeah. It mm-hmm. came, I mean, it just came back to me. And that's the thing that people don't realize, you know, if any wrestler has a absolute insane litany of punishment that they can catalog of all the things <laughs> that they've uh, done to themselves. And so when people are like, well, I don't know, man, that seems fake. It's like, Oh man, it's, how mm-hmm. real is it for the people that do it? You know? Well, here's the last injury I had is the maybe the scariest one, really. I was at the fairgrounds wrestling, and I did 
the spot, as they call them in wrestling, when you have a couple of things you're doing with your opponent. And I got up on the second rope. I was going to superplex the guy mm-hmm. um, down into the mat. And the, the spot was he pushes me. Mm-hmm. And I land on my feet. And then I turn around and he jumps on me and does a cross, what you call a cross body. Mm-hmm. Well, he pushes me and I don't land on my feet. Instead, I land, I fall on my back and my mat or my head hit the mat like seven, eight times in a row. So at that point, I'm knocked out, but I still had a match after that and then had a second match because that (laughs) match I was in led into a tag team match. Uh And I and I for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, I have no recollection of that time, but I still did it without even knowing. And Uh I came to in the locker room Uh and I was like, what the heck just happened? Wow. Like, what do you mean that nobody knew that I knocked myself out? Oh, my God. But somehow I still participated. And that was... That this was, sounds like, to me, kind of like what happened in the encounter that we had. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. I think we figured it out. Yeah. And you say you, you were married at that time? <laughs> but yeah, that was a year ago. So I've been selective on my matches. Mm-hmm. And most of them have been NWA matches since then, like David Arquette and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so like, tell people about this. Okay, so you had a hair versus hair match. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, well, actually, before we even get in, I'd love to get to that book. Um, you're, uh, you have gone through a, a bit of a renaissance over the last, uh, this started, what, two years ago, three years ago? Uh, it was longer ago than that, but we can, yeah, you so know, like, I can explain that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why don't I, I stop paraphrasing it terribly and, and misrepresenting uh, the time frames, but Ultimately, you've, you've, you've been on a path and then had sort of an awakening, mm-hmm. and then uh, that has manifested into some other things here. Well, around 2012, I started wrestling in Chicago for a show that Billy Corgan was running. That's actually when I first got to meet him. And I got on that show through the wrestler named Raven. Do you remember that guy? Quote the Raven, Nevermore. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is another one of my mentors for a year or two, and he was another one of my favorites. So I did all this work with him. Anyway, around that time, I was still doing the gimmick of Bruiser Brody because his widow had said that she liked what I was doing. So, you know. So you took over the identity of a, of a wrestler who'd passed away. Yeah, because if you look at pictures of him, I look almost just like the guy. I love that idea. And I've, I know guys that knew him. And actually, Dutch Mantel was with him and rode to the show with him the day that he got murdered in Puerto Rico. Oh, my God. Which you can see all that stuff on Dark Side of the Ring by Viceland, which mm. is a pretty awesome series that I portrayed Bruiser Brody on mm. just just this past year. Yeah, how you like them? <laughs> how you like that little uh, plug there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I was doing the Brody character, and I remember one night Billy came up to me. And he was like, I feel like you're right here. And he held his hand up as like a measuring thing. He's like, but I feel like you could be up here and obviously raised his hand higher in regards to my character. And I said, okay, let's talk about this. And he said, do you know who Father Yod is? And I was like, I've heard that name. He's like, yeah, he was the head of the band Yehoa 13. He started a health food restaurant. It was the Source family. Oh, the Source family, yeah. Yeah, and he was like, look him up right now. And I said, I can, okay, I'll do that later. He's like, no, do it now. (laughs) And so I didn't have a good, I had a flip phone. I was like, I'm not, (laughs) I can't do this. this." (laughs) I need more equipment. (laughs) And Yeah, so he looked it up and showed me a picture of Father Yod. And at that point, 
with all my beard and hair, I kind of had a resemblance to Yod. Mm-hmm. And so he and I started basing my character more on a Father Yod, and that was 2013 is when mm-hmm. we started doing that. I like started, a, Yeah, like a, a new age cult leader. Sort of like that. <laughs> and we did all kinds of cool stuff. I wish a lot of it was available, but it's like Billy would write a loop or write some music, and then one of his guitarists from the Pumpkins mm-hmm. at that point, Jeff Schroeder, would would play mm. along with it and then i would just improvise a song almost like jim morrison mm-hmm. kind of like singing the end and but it lasts be, 30 minutes like an something. american prayer type of yeah yeah, yeah. but we yeah, would yeah. be doing that at the beginning of the show and of course people didn't know what the heck was going on perfect mm-hmm. and i'd get out of the ring and just yell in their faces mm-hmm. and do all kinds of cool stuff like that so really that was the start of dropping i was josephus brody Mm-hmm. Because I was, you know, based off of Bruiser Brody. That's uh-huh. when I dropped the name Brody. Uh-huh. At that point, mm-hmm. which always like Dutch Mantel, the mentor. This wanted- is how a John Mellencamp's transition from Johnny Cougar. <laughs> Absolutely, it's exactly the same. He's yeah. like, I'm going to drop this name a piece at a time. Yeah, and eventually I'll just be John Mellencamp again. Perfect, perfect <laughs> correlation there. But Dutch always was in favor of the Brody character so mm. he, he even still calls me brody if i tell hey brody what you doing <laughs> that's awesome. but it's, it's still it's to this familial. Day, it's familial yeah he'll yeah, be yeah. like i feel like you should get back to that brody thing <laughs> like i don't have any hair at this point man i mean i have hair but yeah. i'm going for more of a michael landon <laughs> hair vibe that's kind Teenage of my goal werewolf, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. so yeah i had the awakening my uh, wife at the time became my first follower and basically, what I to to show that she was my follower, I would power bomb her on somebody. You know what a power bomb is? No. So basically, you just get somebody above your head and just drop them on somebody else. <laughs> so that would be like one of my finishing moves was just to power bomb her on somebody. So literally, drop your <laughs> and, wife on yeah, one of your opponents. And you're exactly. teasing me about <laughs> and you're teasing me about my first failed marriage. <laughs> Well, I do remember uh, on one of those shows, I had to beat her with a cane. Oh, my God. And, you know, you got to do it for the crowd. So yeah. the first the first hit brought tears to her eyes. I'll never forget that. Oh, it just, no. It's almost like they shot out. <laughs> you know. Mm. So, yeah, definitely contributed to the marriage uh, not working yeah. out. <laughs> well, you know. But she was a wrestler, too, right? Am I right? She... Had probably 30 or so matches, but she mm. preferred to be more of, as they say, a valet mm. who would rough somebody up and then toss them back into the ring for me to finish off. Oh, okay, she's, yeah. She's so that's super, the, the valet is like the, the female accompaniment for the male right. wrestler, right? But yeah. Who would also get involved in the act and, and do some physical stuff. Yeah, they could, or they could just be uh, like Miss Elizabeth. She, right. she got involved in the act a few times, but most of the time she, she helped was, Macho Man get yeah. sympathy or get heat sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From, from what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But she was um, a power. My ex-wife's a power lifter, mm-hmm. just super strong. So she could legit beat up a lot of these little, little guys kind of like Brian. Who <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Put trunks on. <laughs> yeah. she could legitimately beat she, up on we did a video for this uh, guy named Patrick Sweeney. I don't know if you know him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know who he is. Yeah. And we did a video and Chris Crofton was yeah. in it. Yeah. Yeah. And she, her, one of her spots in there was to slap him, and she pr- practically broke his jaw. <laughs> she slapped Chris or Patrick? She pra- she slapped Chris. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Chris was messed up pretty badly. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> 
was like, should oh, like a, you should put it like a mouth guard. Out. Something, <laughs> but it's good in the video because they have it in slow mo when she hits him. Oh my god! Is that? I wonder if that's back when Chris was uh, having maybe more fun than he would. Uh, then was good for him at the time. It and could be. But hopefully he, it was, because then he probably doesn't remember the pain. <laughs> well, he always, I mean, he'd be, you know, he'd be good in the wrestling business as sort of an old school heel manager. Oh, my totally. God. He'd be great at that. But that's why my, you know, my. How do you get him in there? My ex-wife is like, welcome to the business. <laughs> you know, like. Right. Can you take a slap from a woman or not? <laughs> that's a challenge to you, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, I had I had a brief stint where I played drums in the alcohol stunt band. All uh, right. Kind of like your Lila's experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you didn't uh, get the call? <laughs> no, I mean, I played with them for about a year. Um, and then I left, I moved to New York for a while. Mm. Um, so I have reasons that don't hurt my pride, but still it hurts my pride. No, um, I'm no, sorry. No, that was a really fun, that was the most fun I've ever had playing music in my life because it was, everything else I had ever done was so serious. And to play with Chris and... You know, you're playing songs about Dickerson Pike or right. that was a good song. Uh, Dickerson Pike at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. yeah I there, think he took over the Dave cloud mon- sort of vibe, but yeah. not as absurd as Dave. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. I actually play with Dave as well. Oh, nice. It, our band name. I can't mention it on here sure. cause it was perverse. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. But we did shows for a year. As really? Well. Since, so just since spring just, watering it up and all yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm always the guy I don't drink. So I would just go and, watch everybody die in front of me yeah you know, it's yeah, just yeah. kind of like okay well, there's joseph over there yeah with his fender roads you know? <laughs> <laughs> what about um what you, so are you what, are you teaching piano at sae like you, you said you're a music teacher and yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know about this i actually teach just i used to be full-time there so uh-huh. they I, they would put me in different classes mm-hmm. but i do uh, music theory oh wow that's amazing man so yeah it's so cool we get into a lot of it. We get into programming stuff in Logic, just because mm-hmm. a lot of these kids can't play instruments. So you know, hey, program some stuff. Yeah, it'll play it right back for you. it's your own orchestra in your pocket, essentially. Right, and we'll learn about yeah. this mode or that mode yeah, or yeah. this or whatever. As much as as far as we can get, it's only yeah. one semester and it's fifteen weeks long. Oh wow, so that's like a boot camp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I always feel like uh, I don't know if I can. I don't want to cram stuff, mm-hmm. but you kind of have to. Mm-hmm. Then we get into the number system a little bit. So, mm-hmm. so it seems all these things have to be sort of complementary in some way. Like all your different, it seems like a far stretch to say music teacher writing, uh, script writing, uh, film editing type of things. I'm and, just not going to have and, anybody tell me I can't do something. Yeah. You know, there's no compartment in my mind that yeah. says. Like a like Plato's Republic, where I only do one thing. Mm, That's yeah. just not how I am. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll do twenty five things mm-hmm. and hopefully do them well. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be the jack of all trades, good at none. But right, I, yeah. you know, I just I'm not going to have that barrier in my head. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have a similar problem, but I have a huge uh, sort of residual envy for people. Like you know, uh, I always refer to like my friend uh, Jeff Coffin, who you know he plays saxophone. Mm-hmm. Like it's portable, it's easy. Most people like it. Not everybody. Mm-hmm. It's a saxophone. It <laughs> mm-hmm. has its arrows. It comes and goes. But I mean, he makes great money. Plays in front of massive crowds nonstop. Does a lot of various things within teaching, the world of playing yeah, the saxophone. All the things, but ultimately, like it all amounts to like I I blow this blow word. into this thing that I can <laughs> yeah. carry around in a little case. Yeah, that's his. I mean, of, of course, inside it, there's all these nuances and complexities sure. that are in infinite and kaleidoscopic and you know, whatever, but just the point of focus and conversationally, right. you know what I mean? Just to be yeah. able to say like, Oh, I, I play saxophone. 
Yeah, and sum it up. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm that guy that has been in a lot of strange situations that you wouldn't believe. Like I'm in GQ magazine. <laughs> it's like you would never believe did, that that's how true. How did you get in there? It's through Billy Corgan, uh-huh. but still like this, there's so a story. There's a story about the promotion? About or? the promotion uh-huh. and like the cover. It wasn't on the cover, but the, the story page is Billy and I. Uh-huh. And there I am in uh-huh. GQ. Yeah. Can you can you maybe enlighten the listeners as to just a little bit about the history of the NWA and because how many? It's a long time now. Yeah. So there's a there's a there's a unique I think perspective there that you know when people think about wrestling they pretty much only think about you know Vince McMahon and whatever the hell he's promoting mm-hmm. and making happen, but there's a lot of degrees of other things. Yeah. And and also things that were kind of borrowed from and not given back to perhaps right. but uh anyway well technically if you look at it the nwa is the oldest wrestling <laughs> body in the u.s interesting it started in 1948 what tell me what it stands for national wrestling association uh, alliance. national wrestling alliance okay that's even better i love it so <laughs> the idea behind it was you know you would have all these people almost like a board that would make decisions on who had the belt it's you know the promoters essentially mm-hmm. And they would, that stuff would change at varying times. You'd have territories mm-hmm. that would, you know, the, the different wrestlers, if if they were getting worn out in one territory, they could go to the other territory. It was like in a weird way, like uh, in a weird way, I think it's interesting that just that alone. Yeah. I think it's so fascinating because that is exactly the way that things had to be done in the absence of technology. Mm-hmm. You had to develop uh, systems that had interrelational elements uh, with some sort of codified structure and agreements and hierarchies, yeah. but with a way that was kind of free flowing and it wasn't exclusive, but you had to sort of be on a, yeah, you had to have like a, in your locale, you had to have somebody that sat, there was representation from the board mm-hmm. for every locale. Right. And that was sort of the binding agent. It wasn't just, I don't know, the internet or whatever. Right. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, that wasn't even. They they did things. You had and a real, the, actual life network. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, and the the wrestling business used to be very protected. It was almost like the mafia in uh-huh. a way. You had to know the language. You had to know how to mm. speak. You had to know how to act. You had to know how to protect it. Mm. Uh, if if somebody questioned it, mm. you had to be a legit fighter usually to mm. be part of it. Otherwise, mm. you couldn't protect it. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the local bar and somebody's like, that stuff's just fake. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, then you beat them up. That's how you protected the business, you know? <laughs> Nowadays, you'd be like, oh, somebody might say, oh, that stuff's fake. It's like, hey, you want to get a selfie together? I mean, that's that just, there's, but the, anyway, to get back to the NWA, <laughs> it was, um, Vince McMahon's father actually was part of the NWA originally, and then he broke off from it to do, um, World Wide Wrestling Federation. Mm-hmm. Before it was WWF, it was WWWF. Uh-huh. It's hard to even say that. But World Wide Wrestling yeah, Federation. Yeah, it's like I can barely say that. Um, <laughs> so Vince McMahon Jr., because he's, he's a junior, actually, um, he got the best talent. By, by just paying them more and stuff like that? or Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's a big part whatever, of it. Whatever it was. So because of that, the territories that the NWA established start suffering because all their stars are gone. Mm-hmm. And 
some of them lasted longer than others, but a lot of them just closed their doors eventually because of that. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have territories anymore. Mm-hmm. And the NWA still existed. It's, I mean, it existed. It never really didn't exist. There was just periods where you don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Like there's sort of a, just a dark period where it's still there. I mean, I was actually an NWA champ in sort of the period before Billy, I was the NWA Southern champ, uh-huh, that's awesome. which was a legit belt that like macho man had at different uh-huh. times. That's right. Um, but that belt isn't recognized by the current NWA. We only have certain belts that are recognized still. Uh-huh. doesn't mean it can't come back one day. It just mm-hmm. means that that's not our focus at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, so how, does, how does the Billy Corgan era happen? The Billy Corgan era happens. he, Acquires it in 2016, mm-hmm. or was it? No, I'm sorry. It was. I think it was 17. Actually, mm-hmm. is when he really. So was the promotion it. like on the rise and coming back at that point, or was it in a dark era? It like was still saying? sort of in that the stagnant dark era. Uh-huh. It still had. If you're a wrestling fan, you would still see it and you right. still have it. But I wouldn't say it was in the mainstream at that point. Sure. But you get Billy involved, and that brings it into a different, uh-huh. all kinds of different realms. Because so, he's so Billy in, Corgan. This, in this dark period, though, just prior to um, Billy Corgan coming in, uh, how would someone conventionally consume what was going on? Like, where was it broadcast, or not, uh, you know, where, where would you source it? Where would you find it? How would you participate? Was it only live? Was it? It that's the problem with it. It didn't really have the organization as it did in the old days. Mm-hmm. Like, there'd be people in different states that would have an nwa show and they may recognize a world champion still but then they'd have too many belts you know and disconnected because there wasn't any governance right yeah like if i'm the southern champion where am i really going to defend that yeah i never left the city of uh, millersville tennessee when i was the southern champion with the belt Mm -hmm. the idea of the nwa belts is really that you defend them all over the world if possible mm-hmm. clear i mean especially if you're the world champion you're going to japan and we've we've actually our champ has gone to china and things like that and defended the belt <laughs> that's he's, awesome he's defended it in england and all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff How so, fun yeah I mean, in china like where they have like just crazy ass wrestling with like giant inflatable weird ass i've seen three some story of that. tall fucking things and i really didn't want to see where that was located though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. i just assume anything i don't understand is probably in china no i mean there was great it was in some kind of arena it was a big mm. show over there yeah mark we got to check with mark ramundi on this because he's the he's the wrestling aficionado mm. oh that's right uh, yeah yeah but anyhow um what so so billy comes in and then new life gq magazine that was before nwa that i was in gq but oh, okay. <laughs> right, right. i've traveled uh, around in various parts of america with billy on rv trips i've done two of them with him nice just like he would go to do a riding trip and just kind of tap into the fan base that he has and things like that and some of that um would be wrestling cultivation as well. And Dave Lagana was on one of them as did you, well. Did you call it a writing trip? Yeah, like he'd go, he'd, we'd drive through America and then... He'd, and he'd be writing songs? Is yeah. that what you mean? Oh, yeah, wow, exactly. that's cool. So that's like what he does. He goes and travels and that's another album it, maybe. Well, at least for a few, at least for two records. Oh, that's interesting that, to know, so. yeah. And then in the meantime, let's promote the wrestling a little bit too. Or let's just, let's figure out what's going to 
what the wrestling's going to be. Oh, so okay. To speak. Like so, planning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But currently, we're going to do studio tapings in Atlanta at the end of September and early October to so try cool. to get back into that yeah. studio vibe. You know, that's that's like the th- like I don't know what it, I don't know why, but that just that brings it home for me. Like that makes it resonate. The idea that the network is going to be happening again, and the idea that the local taping will be happening again in some way. Right. There's something about because I don't know, like when things are so big and everything's just like a mega event. Like how there's no how do you cultivate? I don't know. I'm I don't I don't have any. Uh, I'm not exposed enough to the other things that are going on. I just feel like oh, there's just another WrestleMania or whatever mm. the fuck. <laughs> but this is something that just feels grassroots but in a but in a highly produced and interesting and well put together way and also for people that they're kind of maybe older that aren't you know uh perhaps uh in the original kind of maybe demographic of what a lot of people think wrestling is for this is perfect yeah mm. i mean because it's 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 not taking itself too seriously but at the same right. time it takes itself very seriously yeah I think one of the things, like, you know, again, as a Generation Xer, the thing that I liked about that era of wrestling and that sort of turned me off when the next era came was the era that we were in, Hulk Hogan, uh, Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior, you know, name the Pantheon, you know. (laughs) The great Kabuki. I I ended up, uh, you know, I love that stuff because it was such a great like comic book basically and it was Mm -hmm. so fun and these guys were such crazy outrageous characters but it was so well done and like fucking Roddy Roddy Piper you know I mean it was amazing yeah and then later on like it it became so like twisted and extreme and like it lost that sense of humor it lost the sort of that the hero sort of thing and the villain thing it lost that 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 attitude and a lot of what I've seen of like you know the on the videos on YouTube and stuff and some of the things we've talked about that you have coming up I mean a lot of that stuff feels more like that old that old vibe you know what I mean yeah not not and not that we have to move backwards or something but I just I like the I like the fun aspect of wrestling mm-hmm. a lot you know yeah. what I mean and and this is very entertaining and it's a lot of fun really cool characters and stuff right you know? And I think a lot of times people think if a character is cartoony, their mm. matches may not be good. Uh-huh. There's like this weird kind of thing about, well, that was that's just a bunch of cartoons. It's uh-huh. like, yeah, but listen to the crowd yeah. and see what they're into at that yeah. point before everybody was smart about yeah. everything, that as they say. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I liked about that era was... Well, that's the wrestling term, <laughs> yeah, that I they're smart that. to the business. They're uh-huh. smart to how it works. I see what you mean. You know, and, and obviously everybody is now. Uh-huh. But can you still enjoy it, yeah. even though it is what it is now? Well, one of the things I enjoy about it, and it's the same thing I enjoy about combat sports, is like the fact that it's like the, all these cartoony characters and stuff that we're talking about, the villain and the good guy and the, and the way that they were sort of blown up and bigger than life in the 80s like that. In, you know, the costumes and everything like there's nothing almost sillier than the fucking ultimate warrior. But when he gets in the ring, he is a fucking insane athlete. You right. know what I mean? And those guys were all insane athletes. And that's the other thing I loved about it was this shit's crazy. Right. <laughs> it is. Watching these huge people do this crazy stuff. Yeah. Flying, man. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a lot of flyers. In my yeah. Heck, I used to go off the top ropes myself. That was, I regret every second uh, of doing that. <laughs> well, I just, I love, I love this fold you're kind of talking about where it's sort of like, it used to be that people had to sort of suspend, the burden was on the audience to suspend their disbelief. Now, it's different. It's actually a welcome invitation to the audience to, to imagine with and to be mm-hmm. a part of. It's not this. It doesn't have this precept of um, 
assumed like duplicity about it or something. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like mm-hmm. it's just kind of like yeah. So come along for the ride. This yeah, is fucking right. awesome. Well, it's like anything, a movie, a play, or whatever. If you can get people emotionally invested, they'll put aside the fact that it may not be real. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and I think we have to get as wrestlers or whatever you want to say, writers in the wrestling world, bookers, we have to make it seem real now to get the audience back. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a chance for it to be like it Uh was back in the day. Mm -hmm. I feel like Walt Disney talking right now. (laughs) One day, if we put our imaginations (laughs) together, (laughs) if we all freeze our heads, right. Obviously that's a huge part of it. You know, you are in a, in a situation where, I mean, any, any combat, professional combat fighter is in any in any situation but certainly in the wrestling world it's you know a great deal of it is that your capacity for performing a character you Mm -hmm. know what i mean and and entertaining a crowd yeah and i think a lot of these training centers they should have acting classes Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, I but it just sounds like exactly right. Everybody man. should be a thespian down there. <laughs> Have you done any acting training or anything? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've done a, a lot of stuff, and because your thing, I've noticed like with with your promos. And by the way, anybody listening, please just. I don't know how the fuck to tell people to find this stuff, but just just type in Kingdom of Josephus on yes, YouTube and you'll get, find me. Please, <laughs> please, everyone, join the the Kingdom of of Josephus because. Uh, we haven't really. Got, I really want to explore the awakening a little bit more because yeah. I, I, I find this to yeah. be endlessly fascinating. I'm glad you're back and, to and I can't help that also. I can't help but also to think that because I feel like that the thing that people miss is that they see these char- people see these characters and these caricatures and these sort of exaggerated forms of people. Or at least when I was growing up, it was like, oh, that's. <laughs> You know, now that would be so perceptibly racist that it could never happen. But actually, back then it really worked or whatever. Um, but I guess my point is just that everything comes from some truth. Mm-hmm. Everything is some sort of a, a projection. Whatever you're sourcing and whatever you're doing and however you're portraying, um, there's something real and authentic because no one can just switch a gear and become something that they don't identify with and they sure. can't primordially mm-hmm. sort of in, in a real natively invested way sort of mm. sort of project so that is what i want to press on that nobody's going to ask you about which is a, in terms of this awakening how does that parallel your actual experience and how where's the connective tissue between the actualities of daily life and this enlightenment period <laughs> and by the way i i did uh you know I, he got suspended also because mm-hmm. he smashed a guy with a ladder mm-hmm. oh I, I saw that on the video oh yeah did i so when you, when you say this awakening is that what you keep saying the word awakening a, a, a period of enlightenment enlightenment so that what just so the audience is clear on this you're talking about when 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 brody became josephus right um it's probably I became uh, Josephus more so before the NWA stuff. Yeah. Okay. Initially. So when is the enlightening? When does that occur in your timeline? That would just be the, <laughs> be- the beginnings of my NWA promos, which would be okay, like cool. 2017, maybe maybe 2018. And when so I that was what them. introduced you to the NWA. Right. It's, oh, a, little, it's okay. a little Koreshian. It's a little. <laughs> is it? <laughs> Koreshian, that's a great way of putting it. It's, it's a, <laughs> the Josephus name, like this Old Testament name, does give it this sort of like Koreshian sort right. of vibe. But yeah. the character himself is much more 
uh, source family. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and what, was the, what was the people that had the purple capes and the sneakers? Uh, that was the Heaven's Gate. Heaven's yeah. Gate. Yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit of that vibe. Is this, it? This guy, the bald, the, your bald, uh, your bald spiritual advisor is a little bit like uh, Doe. It's like Doe and Ray, right? The two leaders, Doe and so, Ray. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, give us the anatomy of your enlightenment and what this really means and how it relates to actual you. Well, essentially, in college, I uh, was a religion major. Yep. And a music major. Where were you at school? That, at that point, I was in a school in Wichita, Kansas called Friends University that the Quakers had started. Oh, nice. man. Hardcore. So, yeah. Like, I have Great furniture, hard classes. <laughs> hard I, furniture also. <laughs> I discovered I had all this Quaker ancestry like when I was around 18, uh-huh. and then eventually I went to that school. I didn't finish there. I, I dropped out and did other things before I finished That's here fascinating. In, in Nashville at Trevecca. Uh-huh. Um, Nazarene College. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've always been interested in various spiritual writings mm, yeah. from all kinds of different sources, whether it's Christian or Hindu or, mm. you know, the Upanishads or whatever mm. else that I can um, read and feel like it's feeding my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, so that all that stuff is legit. Mm-hmm. I do tap into that world. Of course, we're all enlightened spirits in our own way. So uh, I'm just uh, I'm just accentuating that fact through the character. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, Josephus is not. I won't say he's misguided, but he definitely has a lot of work to do in the <laughs> overall spiritual arc, with, especially to deal with that inward violence. <laughs> he's one of those uh, characters that, like the Bible says, you. Some people take heaven by storm through violence. That's the kind of <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the guy that Josephus is. He read, he read that line and that was it. He yeah, just got oh, stuck. Man, there I am. But yeah, but yeah I, I mean, I try to have spiritual practices. I try to. I think some of the spiritual life, whatever you make that out to be, is missing in a lot of ways from our culture. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know. When's the last time you heard anybody mention a spiritual life on mm-hmm. any kind of news show or any, you know, like everybody was tapping into the spiritual life today and it somehow made the world better, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, like almost like the Dow Jones of, of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just anything, anything that can possibly make us consider our actions. As opposed you know? to just being a vegan and an influencer and doing yoga. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, I know nothing about any of that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man, I mean, I, I try to tap into that world as much as I can personally. And mm-hmm. like I you know, that gives you a chance to add it to the character if you want to, or, or spin it in a darker way if mm-hmm. you want to. But what's crazy about it is you have like a native, um, there's something about, it, because of that experience and because of your deep, um, you know, uh, pursuits that you've had for a long period of time, when you're doing this thing that's in all other ways seemingly an absurd stage and theater to be you know like everything yeah. about it is is uh you know some might even call it profane or whatever but it's like it's so ridiculous and also in it's it's got this you're coming from this firmament or like a basis that is fully believable mm-hmm. like it like you know I say fully believable, but like, like it, it, it feels connected to something. That's why I was sort of asking you about yeah. all that because nobody can just without, without that knowledge or that baseline, just kind of walk into that and it, and it come off 
the way that you're pulling that off. Yeah. And like we were talking about before we got started, like the subtleties and the details, there's just so many little, little things, linguistic things, gesture things. Right. And also like, I don't know how the fuck you do this, man, but like, and maybe it's part of the acting training or something or just your film experience or whatever. But you know, I've, I just noticed that you have a way of like meeting camera gaze mm-hmm. and things in a way that's very intentional and has that quality that you, when people talk about, I'm not saying like Manson level shit or whatever, but you know, like this, it's a, it's a charisma, right? Or it's a, but it's also, it's coming from not a formulaic or contrived place, but it's coming from an educated and intentional mm-hmm place right the way that you play camera the way that you play like the way that you use your body and gesture the way you use language everything i find it to be like infinitely interesting irrespective of the nwa and all the exciting things and wrestling and what it means like there's something really interesting to me about uh the the holistic or whatever uh sort of package or interrelational elements that are this embodiment of all the things that you've been doing. I just think mm-hmm. it's really cool, man. I think it's really special. It's not, it's not something that anybody could do at all. It's uniquely you. Mm-hmm. I think one thing I used is sort of a, I've used the character as a platform to, and I haven't done it in a while just because I've been busy, but to try to point people towards literature and the arts and things mm-hmm. like that. Like I, you know, for a while I had the Josephus book club and <laughs> that's amazing. Josephus music club. Yeah, and, you know, and I'm yeah. talking about discreet music by Brian, you know, just stuff like that. Because you know, if I can, if <laughs> tell me, you gotta tell me a couple of books that were in the book. Yeah. Club. I mean like, um, Gosh, I gotta think now. Now you, I go if you blind. can, if you can, there's no pressure. Well, yeah, even like a guy like Meister Eckhart. I don't know if you know oh, yeah, him or sure, not, sure. but just like, just some of his stuff is very. He was a monk, right? He was a Catholic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was actually a monk or like not. He's definitely a teacher. Like yeah, because yeah. Meister means master, mm-hmm. and they considered him a, a master uh-huh. teacher, but a, a Catholic mystic. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, uh, and he got excommunicated of course mm-hmm. later they brought him back in because they were like oh we were wrong about that <laughs> yeah but yeah just people like him i'll recommend a, just the the sayings the sermons of meister eckhart <laughs> that's fantastic and i know there's people out there that get into some of it because they'll write me about it yeah and if i've done that a little bit if i've exposed somebody to something that they so wouldn't cool. have come across some, like legit spiritual yeah, teachings yeah spiritual or just aesthetic stuff yeah. Cool. I've done that through wrestling. I feel like I've done a good thing. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, even if you just uh, encourage someone to take on some small nugget of contemplative, introspective thought and in how you relate to the world and those around you, irrespective of dogma or path or origin mm-hmm. or words or yeah. quality, it doesn't matter any of those things. Like just to be able to have some vehicle to project things through to kind of just get people to like to because ha- that's a feedback loop too if you have a Josephus book club right right then it's a, it's an interactive thing on some level you're yeah. kind of doing this thing together uh-huh. and, uh, I, and I love the fact that it's like another fun way to sort of uh, to sort of extrapolate this this kind of like cult vibe you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's like are you in the book club are you right. in the music club <laughs> yeah, join yeah. us yeah. <laughs> you know do what you I mean? have tickets for and September it all has a vague <laughs> sense that you're reprogramming people or yeah. something <laughs> but it's just uh, some of it that too is like being an educator you want and and not in a pretentious way but you want people to to be a part of something that meant something to you so you share it with them Mm -hmm. you know and yeah i mean that's to me like being a teacher it's like okay let me 
share you share with you Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, mm-hmm. and, and like a lot of my students haven't even heard a symphony ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, oh wow, here we go. I've I've given something to uh-huh. you. Some and of even, them haven't heard Bittersweet Symphony. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, but the thing is, is, like even if they don't, even if that's not their jam, right, or whatever, doesn't matter at all. You've shared something that you're passionate about, and at least you've been some example to them about here's what it is to sort of like, like the, the pedagogical cycle or whatever is represented to them in, in some way that they, yeah. they go, okay, I, I'm curious about something. Then I pursue it. Then I, I strive to understand it. Then I realize how much I don't actually know. Then I bow in reverence to it. Mm-hmm. Then I dabble in it. Then I try to project my passion for it to others and then recycle and go through something else. You yeah. know, like it's a, just for, for, I think young people to see, like it's not young people, young people, <laughs> kids. Ultimately, I'm really talking about kids. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think the kids get a lot of shit for like being really into something. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think that's yeah. still like a thing. Like where if you're just way deep into whatever you're into, you're gonna take some shit for it because that's how people identify you. Right, and that's the worst thing. You know, that that kills curiosity and mm. and that freedom to just explore different things as you've done with 25 different quests that you've been on still going and it's all but it, but it all relates <laughs> right it does of there's, course there's, it does. there is a through line we don't know what it is but there is one right yeah. my my biographer will know <laughs> i think you guys might feel this way as well but i one thing that i've noticed about people who are sort of like uni i i, I people who sort of tend to do like one thing and and of course that's a perfectly fine thing to do and our friend Jeff Coffin is a perfect example of Lame. a fucking genius <laughs> fucking amazing like musician who's you know kind of does else. his thing <laughs> there's uh, but, like, happy to train he's him also <laughs> he's also an amazing photographer he does all this shit yeah. but whatever that's true yeah. he is yeah. too, if he's yeah. interested in wrestling uh, we can, uh, but, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but people who who you know basically sort of find that they're at their best when they sort of dedicate themselves to a task and they sort of stay mm-hmm. on that path and those people do that and they do it well and it, it's a great formula for them but I think often that formula gets projected out onto everyone. I know it got projected out onto me when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. It was the worst advice I ever got. And I recognized very quickly that as soon as I stopped doing that and let myself identify as things other than just this one thing and explore other ideas, suddenly not only not not only did this thing, the first thing, not become diminished, but it actually became to life again. Right. And suddenly it was like, oh, my God, you know, basically for me, it's like I, I don't really have creative blocks because if I don't have anything to write about art this week. I can work on my song. And if mm-hmm. I, my song is almost done, then I can work on this photography project again. Yeah. And every time I come to the next thing that's fresh. I've got plenty of ideas, you know, because yeah. I'm not just hammering this one thing and just bleeding, you know, <laughs> yeah. to the point where I got nothing left for it. Yeah, because I mean, it all informs everything else. It's like the circle yeah. of fifths. You know, everything, <laughs> one key informs the other key uh-huh. somehow. It may take a few steps back to understand that, uh-huh. but it still informs it. Yeah, and it's like the 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 thing I'm expending energy in is actually refreshing me for the other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially because typically what it, that those anybody that oscillates between those various things mm-hmm. some i've at least for me i've and i've noticed in a lot of other people it's like well i do some things because this gives me like this immediate gratification or this gives me you know whereas what i normally do is this long laborious thing it takes me a year to make a film uh-huh. or whatever it is uh-huh. or like um i just you know as much as i like to write i need to like make 
form things with my hand. Like it's uh-huh. just about right. sharpening other stuff, yeah. other things or satisfying other reward systems uh-huh. that mm-hmm. kind of holistically put right. you all together to where you feel like, okay, I'm not just dying mm-hmm. here. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like it's, you know, we're talking about all these old philosophers and stuff, but it's like when I was growing up, I don't know where this idea got hammered into my head, but like I've always had this idea that like the whole idea of like being an educated person is like being a, like a really well-rounded person who actually knows yeah. about many things and can do many things. Yeah. And to me, it was always like though because of that, I don't know why that got stuck in my head, but I've always just like looked at these people who are really good at a number of things. Mm-hmm. It's like, those are the people that I'm impressed by. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's, I, for some reason, I'm just trying to make a case for the fact that there's people like that and don't tell those people not to be that way yeah. <laughs> yeah. because the do the one thing thing. I understand the logic behind what you think you're doing, mm. but you're misunderstanding how people work. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it is tricky though, because it's like, okay, if I want to be a musician and a mechanic, Okay, so let's break that down for a second. Yeah. Like, you can play a lot of instruments, you can play a lot of different styles of music mm-hmm. or invent your own. Okay, so maybe experiment around enough with it to start figuring out where your your natural niche is. Uh-huh. You know, like, okay, really, I just uh, I think I'm a jazz drummer. That's kind of what I magnetize mm-hmm. towards. And at least you can pick, get yourself sort of into that idiom. But then you're like, oh, shit, am I really into just like bebop or is it like fusion? <laughs> right. Or like yeah, these things point. that are kind of categorically different inside that thing and then you got to figure out like that part and then you kind of go down you know but you have to you still have to drill down through things to find niches to actually have any actual experience with something and then Uh on the mechanic side you're like i want to be the best mechanic ever nobody should discourage me from that but if you don't have a focus yeah you're fucked yeah and it takes time to get that focus like you you know you got to put it in your diesel engines versus not diesel engines or you know (laughs) european uh, vehicles yeah yeah you know like all all only celicas yeah exactly (laughs) that's what i would do there's a bunch of celica guys out there and i'm going to be the mechanic 1980s japanese cars guys (laughs) that's all you need to focus on but you you know, then you've got like the the sixty you know, muscle cars and you know people that are in the Mopar stuff or like whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just those are categorically different worlds that reside within this seemingly mm-hmm. one world. And if you think you're going to do all those things, then you will fail miserably. So it's mm-hmm. a right. weird paradox. It is, yeah. Uh, because you, yes, you should be open to being a really good mechanic and a really good mechanic and jazz drummer. I think those things would work work really well mm-hmm. together. The, the sort of the problem solving and the improv- improvisation and the mm-hmm perception and the sound and the tonalities like there'd be a million ways to sort of correlate that in an interesting way as a life experience Mm -hmm. but if you don't have a niche oh man you're in trouble so Mm -hmm. it's strange yeah on some level yeah you gotta you've gotta like sort of find your spot you know what Mm -hmm. i mean but but you can have many spots in many places (laughs) you know what i mean yeah my father was sort of the archetype of who i am in a lot of ways like he was a a great basketball player and actually had got recruited by Kentucky Whoa. by Adolph Rupp Whoa. back in the day. and But he walked away from that to become a historian. Mm-hmm. Hard to walk away from anybody named Adolph, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> but, then, like, but then he got bored doing history, and so he walked on. He went to Cumberland University for a while, and he walked on that team for basketball because he was so good and just started as a walk-on. Wow. But he he became uh, he was eventually head of the Civil War Department here in 
wow. at the Tennessee State Museum back in the day. Oh, wow. wow. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but that he's sort of the archetype, sort of, of who I am. Uh, for like and, a well-rounded person. Yeah. Right? Just he was a hell of an athlete, mm-hmm. but he could also. Super bright. Kind of a, sc- yeah, a scholar. Into culture. And yeah. He was like a Civil War reenactor before that was a thing. And, uh-huh. you know, like he worked at the Smithsonian as a kid and uh-huh. all this stuff. When he was doing Civil War reenactments, was he picking up people and throwing <laughs> uh, over above his head and then throwing them big, on other people? He was definitely a big dude, so he could have done that. <laughs> I will see your bayonet. I'll see your bayonet and I will raise you. <laughs> well, it's, it just sounds I, like it's, it could be dangerous if you, I mean, he was doing it before anybody else was. It's like it, were people calling the cops. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> how singular was this quest he was See, on. that whole culture has its own set of terminology uh-huh. as well. I don't know if you've ever read Confederates in the Attic. That book is all about reenactment culture and uh-huh. stuff. Oh, I love that you stuff. Should. I haven't read it, but I just love... Like subcultures are my jam. It's a great yeah. book. That, yeah. that, and they that, like in the reenactment world for the marks, they call them farbs, <laughs> which what basically like, you know, my father used to sell fake relics to people mm-hmm. cause he knew how to make them look real. Like, like old bullets and stuff. bullets. Yeah. He, like he took a tree, a part of a tree once and put a bullet in it. Uh huh. And acted like he had found it, like at the fair in the fairgrounds area, because there uh-huh. was like a battle just over there. Just happened to uh-huh. be right yeah, there. Yeah, it's just oh wow, I found this bullet after you know so many years, <laughs> uh-huh. and then he sold it to a farm. You know? <laughs> or he could make arrowheads really well too, uh-huh. so he would constantly sell fake arrowheads. Uh-huh. Some and, people who aren't in the South, like we've got all sorts of Civil War battlefields all yeah. over here. There was obviously native populations here before. So like right. this, I mean, and a lot every, of people and a lot of people cling weirdly to the yeah. past. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, so it's like, there's, there's, there's tons of, of, you know, old stuff that's constantly being found in the ground or construction projects that are stopped because suddenly yeah. we realize there's stuff here and yeah. it has to be archeologically excavated. Absolutely. Yeah. We haven't put our subway in yet. Wait till we do that. Uh-huh. And limestone, it'll never happen. <laughs> uh, oh, hey, it's a so, nightmare. Um, so I guess we should wrap it up here. I could go on for like six hours with this man, but we we just come back and also yeah. uh, can we use this as an opportunity to leverage you for an, an open invitation to come to Atlanta? September and maybe you'll say hi to us or something. I don't know if I'm going to say hi to you once I'm in the arena. Oh man! Uh, but I'll come back. I just got scared. I don't know why. Yeah, and he goes into that Josephus just, mode. Um, it's like you can feel it when it changes. Yeah, but he's looking at me. Look at the way he's looking at me right now. It's like oh I've learned God. how to not blink for a long period of time too. That's what the best actors and salesmen do. They never blink if you look if you watch. Oh my God! Yeah, right. Yeah. No, that's a thing. I, I had a job interview once where the guy was trying to do some of those kind of weird skills with me once. Yeah. And he would do these. He would use like the pause technique. You know, he would just be like. Like, kind of like almost like that Larry David shit, you know, where yeah, like, mm. and uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I just remember just being like, What? <laughs> <And> just calling <laughs> it, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not good at uh, awkward pauses, but anyway, so hey, um, tell people how That's they can find you, name. follow you, all the things, uh, give them, give yeah. them the straight dirt on YouTube. My channel is called The Kingdom of Josephus, as we mentioned earlier. On Twitter and Instagram, jo- at Josephus NWA. Those are the best places to follow me. I'm on Instagram more these days mm. than anything. J O C E F. I mean, E P H U S. Yeah, J O C E P H U S N W A. Don't put an S. Don't. I'm not Joseph Us. Okay. <laughs> Josephus. Is there something scary there? Maybe. 
<laughs> Depends on if you're in the kingdom or not. I saw a thing with Nick Diaz today where he posted a thing about his dog who's named Machiavelli, but he spells it like M-A-K-A-V-E-L-L-I. And someone po- someone commented on his Instagram post and said, it's spelled Machiavelli. And then he replied, shut up. <laughs> That was like the best thing about my morning. I laughed my ass off when I saw that. The most incidental geniuses <laughs> of all time. Shut we, up. we didn't even get into this. I really wanted to kind of like see what what you, you know how this because MMA is really picking up on a lot of this stuff that you guys are sort of uh, manufacturing, yeah. right? And and producing. Sure. And uh, it's it's to some people's dismay and to some people's delight. Uh, but anyway, maybe that's for the for the next time. But yeah. um, yeah. hey, man, really, thanks so much for yeah, coming. Yeah, great please, talking to you. Please Thank let, you let's for do it again. Me. And be... uh, after your first, uh, after you guys break open this uh, the studio vibe, I'd love to have you back and and see how that all went. Absolutely. Just don't expect me to say hi to you in Atlanta. <laughs> Unbelievable. I feel like he's gonna beat me up again. It's going to happen. All right. (laughs) Hey, guys. uh, Yeah, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. And we're out. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast, click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast, and once you get there you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level, you're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and and help us out again anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast click on support this podcast all right thanks everyone